This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Once upon a time, you, yes, you, decided to tune into Ridiculous History. We're so glad you did. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Hi, I'm Ben. Hey, I'm Noel. It's true. We are going to have a little bit of Ridiculous Story time, uh, and then we're going to go back afterwards and um, have a little discussion. Actually do an episode, right? Actually do an episode. But it's, it's all yeah, It'll become clear what we're trying to go for here. And never fear, our, uh, our, <laughs> our better third super producer, Casey Pegram... <laughs> is here. We're not up to some weird hijinks without him. Uh, so without further ado. You already said once upon a time. We already said once upon a time. So uh, Noel, why don't we why don't we tell the story together? Uh, would you like to start? Sure. This is the story of Yi Xian. Long ago, uh, there was a community of cave dwellers in China uh, called the Wudong, and they had a chief whose name was Wu, and he had two wives and a daughter by each of the wives. Uh, Yi Xian uh, was Wu's daughter, um, and she was, of course, extremely beautiful, kind, gentle, intelligent, 
gifted. She had many skills. She could make pottery. She was a poet. Then she had a half-sister named June Lee, who was uh, the opposite of those things. She was cruel. She was selfish. She was vain. So Yixian was the daughter of Wu's first wife, and she died when Yixian was just a baby. Wu's second wife, who was the mother of the, the cruel, selfish sister, was a classic wicked stepmother kind of situation. She was envious of all the attention that Wu lavished upon Yixian, and she wanted her daughter to be the top daughter. Aha, some of us may be saying, this story sounds a little familiar. Listen along and tell us how many familiar tropes you can spot. And bonus points, if you can guess which story this is, we'll tell you at the end. Back to the story. Unfortunately for Yishan, her father also passes away. Wu dies from a local plague. Wu has no sons, so a new chieftain is appointed to take his place. Yishan's family is reduced to poverty. She has to become a lowly servant. She finds work as the employee of the same stepmother and envious sister who have hated her all her life. She is burdened with chores, abuse, and housework. But she still retains her inner beauty, her cleverness, and, and, you know, she's still very popular because everybody likes her. She makes friends with a mysterious, stunning, just exquisite 10-foot-long fish. Like you do. In a lake near her home. This fish has golden eyes and scales, and the fish, you see, is no ordinary fish. It is a guardian spirit sent to her by her own mother from beyond the grave, who never forgot about her daughter. It's true. Um, and uh, Yixian takes solace in her visits with this giant uh, golden fish, who apparently talks quite a lot as well. And one day, unfortunately, Jun Li, the unkind uh, stepsister, follows Yixian to the lake where she discovers her talking to the fish. And um, she just doesn't want her sister, stepsister to have any anything nice, any happiness. So she runs back, tells her mother what she's seen, and then the evil stepmother mother uh, comes back and confronts uh, Yi Xian and stabs the fish in the heart, killing it instantly, and cooks it up for she and her uh, less remarkable daughter's dinner. And of course, Yi Xian is absolutely crushed. This was her one glimmer of happiness that was keeping her spirit alive. This magical, you know, talking creature sent from on high by her dead mother. But then, as, as happens in, in, in many uh, Chinese folktales, we're going to have the appearance of uh, an ancestor in the form of an old wizened man with a white beard who uh, could have possibly been her maternal grandfather. He's dressed in robes and he appears to her and tells her, hey, it's cool, even though the fish, your fishy friend, has been uh, decimated and devoured by these gluttonous, disgusting people. Uh, the spirit remains, and all you have to do is take the bones of the fish and bury them in the ground in four separate pots. Classic. And has to hide each one under her bed at the four corners. And then the spirit also tells her that these bones, she can keep talking to them. It's a little morbid. They're not going to talk back, but what they will do, gentle listeners, is grant her wishes. Once every year, people get together and celebrate the New Year Festival. This is an auspicious time. This is also the time of year for young maidens to meet potential husbands. 
Now, the stepmother, who is still very much in play and very much a pill, doesn't want to spoil her own daughter's choices. This is the unpleasant daughter. So she makes her stepdaughter, Yi Xian, stay home and clean their house, which is also a cave, by the way. Uh, so she pictures, she's on her knees scrubbing, you know. And after her stepfamily has left for the big festival, Yishan makes a silent wish to the bones, and then she finds herself clothed in magnificent raiment, in a gown of sea-green silk, a cloak of kingfisher feathers, and a pair of golden slippers. She goes to the festival. So Yishin hot-foots it to the festival, where she is the belle of the ball. Everyone admires her, and she becomes... Uh, a sensation immediately. But then when she notices that her wicked step family are there as well and she worries about being made, she equally hot-foots it back home. And in her haste, she trips and loses one of the golden slippers that is left behind. And the only evidence of this remarkable woman that graced this uh, New Year's celebration. The fish bones, by the way, are not on speaking terms with Yishan at this point because the bones had warned her not to lose even one of her slippers. She falls asleep despondent under a tree. Her stepfamily comes back from the festival, and they're talking about this mysterious beauty, this real smoke show who appeared at the festival, but they don't know that they're talking about Yishan. The golden slipper is found by a local peasant. This is a big find for him. He trades it, and it's passed on to various people until it reaches the hands of the nearby king of the Tohan Islets. This is a powerful kingdom covering many thousands of small islands. The king is fascinated by the small size of this shoe, and he issues a search, saying, Find the maiden whose foot will fit in the shoe. And if they find her, he proclaims, he will marry that girl. The search goes on without much luck until it reaches a community of cave dwellers. Of course, no one's foot will fit inside the slipper except Yixian's, uh, but she is not allowed to come. Of course, her wicked step family would not allow it. So she gets there late to try to get the slipper back so she can earn her way back into the good graces of the four pots of fish bones. Um, and she is accused of trying to steal the slipper, right? So um, she is taken before the king, and she's forced to make her case. And she says, look, this is what happened. I was abused of horrible home life, and then I befriended this giant golden fish, and my evil stepmother stabbed it in the heart, and then they ate it. And the, the spirit of my ancestor told me to put the fish bones into these four pots, and then I lost the slipper, and yada, yada, yada. And the king, you know, clearly not phased by any of these uh, bizarre details, uh, is actually struck by her goodness and her kindness and her forthright pluckiness, all of the things that we've loved about Yixian from the start of this story. And he allows her to go home with both her life and the slipper. But he's not done. He's still mystified by this, this, this amazing, striking beauty, Yixian. So he goes to her house and he says, come with me, come with me and live with me in my kingdom. Come away with me and be my love and so on. Yishan puts on both of her slippers and appears in that beautiful sea green gown. The stepmother and Jun Li say, There's no way this broad could have these clothes. Yishan, of all people, she is our slave. And the stepmother says, The finery is my daughter's, and this woman stole it. And the king says, Ah, you're lying. Uh, Yishan, don't just come away with me to the kingdom. Be my wife. As a matter of fact, be the queen. And she says, 
Dope. Yeah, totally. She accepts, and her cruel step-family is left to their fate. In one version, they are banished to the wilderness by the king forever. They live a harsh, unhappy life until the day that they are killed by a rain of fiery stones. Mm. And this is all happening while Yishan is queen. And they live happily ever after. That's Um, one version of the story. It's true. You've probably figured out by this point with some of the recurring tropes uh, of fairy tailedom and specifically uh, the uh, Cinderella story. Sorry for everyone who bet on Rapunzel. We did an episode on that earlier. It's true. And what was it? What was the root, the vegetable in Rapunzel? It was like lettuces? Oh, yeah. Fine fine lettuces? It felt pretty Eastern European. Rampian. Rampian. That's what it was. Ramps. Ramps, exactly. This is one of the oldest known versions of the Cinderella tale that was truly, truly made popular um, in the version in 1697, written and published by Charles Perrault, a Frenchman. But in 850 AD in China, Uh, This story was clearly first to the finish line. Mm -hmm. The story of Cinderella is one of the most popular stories in the world. And we can see variants of it, not just in the West, not just in China, but in Indonesia and many other countries. Because people love a good story. We are a communicative species. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car is called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know who also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? I think you know. It's Harry's. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. 
they also have deodorant. Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self-care products. Um, Richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like redwood, wild lens, and stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Only you know you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch. So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch? So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online, and by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. The variant that's most well-known in the West is the version you mentioned earlier, Noel. That's Charles. Well, hang on, just to be safe. Hey, Casey? Yeah, I think you'd say it more like Charles Perrault. Perrault. Casey on the case. So this this version is the most well-known for us here and for many people in Europe, perhaps. But like any other tale, folklorists, anthropologists, historians, and more spend countless hours trying to figure out the origination of the story, right? So you'll hear people say this story is Chinese in origin, right? Like you mentioned before, Noel, because that's the earliest recorded version you'll find. But you'll also hear people say that the story originated in ancient Egypt. Did you see that part? I did, and I think that version has been largely debunked, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, that got debunked. Uh, I think the claim they were attempting to make there was that they could attribute it to the Greek historian Strabo, but it feels kind of like an echo chamber. It feels like a lot of people are just quoting themselves. You know what I mean? And then they fell victim to forgery. A Mrs. Olive Miller of Aurora, Illinois, reimagined the Greek historian's story intertwined it with Perot's tale, and then created this quote-unquote ancient Egyptian Cinderella, and people fell for it. So don't fall for that. We're telling you right now, the uh, Chinese story seems to be the genuine article here. Right, and that would have taken place during the Tang Dynasty, which is between 618 and 907 CE, whereas the Charles Perrault uh, version did not uh, see publication until 1697. And this is interesting because we're talking about the proliferation of storytelling in some ways before the written word, right? A lot of these were probably communicated orally. I have to say, and this is just my opinion, that it feels like there are too many similarities for this to be parallel thinking, right? That we've got we've got the uh, evil step parent and sibling, we've got the magical assistant, 
We've got the wise old council. Got the orphaned uh, beauty. The orphaned beauty. We've got the magic clothing, the magic slipper in particular. Talking animals. Talking animals. Enchanted talking animals. Disney really leaned into that part too. I wish they, you know, I I don't know. I don't want to knock Disney Cinderella. I thought it was a good ride. Sure, absolutely. Um, But here's the thing. We've got all of these hallmarks that were then reworked in the 17th century Italian uh, version that was even before Perot's work by the poet Giambattista Basile, uh, who was born in 1566 and died in 1632 CE. Um, And this was released in posthumously in his quite famous children's book, Il Pentamarone, uh, and that was in 1634, which included uh, a version of the story called uh, La Gatta Cinerentola, uh, which means the cat Cinderella, which is recognized as the first appearance of the story in print. And it was already a widely known tale uh, throughout Italy because mm-hmm. of that proliferation of these stories and these folk, these folk tales. Um, it was then reworked and republished in Germany and Russia in several forms. And Patricia Monaghan, who is a scholar of, of literature, uh, wrote um, about the Cinderella tale that the uh, thousand-year-old circulation of Cinderella's story makes it the world's best-known fairy tale, but no one can really say where it began or when Cinderella's magic slippers brought her to Europe. It's pretty crazy. So the oldest known oral version of the story is an ancient Greek story called Rhodopis, but that's the one that's still like largely debunked. It has some similarities, but it's not a pitch perfect Cinderella story. There's also a 12th century French version. Uh, there's the Japanese folktale, Sumiyoshi Monogatari, which is pretty much Cinderella. Uh, you can even find versions of Cinderella's story in 1001 Nights, also known as Arabian Nights. Uh, it's it's strange how how completely this has inundated our our consciousness, our fairy tale consciousness. And I'm fascinated. I don't have the answer to this, but I am fascinated by imagining the path this story must have taken around campfires, maybe at a caravansare, maybe at a a spot on the Silk Road. You know, as as they're transporting goods back and forth, they're also transporting these stories. So let's talk a little bit about some of the similarities and differences between the Yixian version of the story and uh, we have Perot's version, which uh, was published under the name Cindrillion. And then, of course, we have the quite famous Brothers Grimm version, uh, which was known as Aschenputtel, which means Ash Girl. Um, so here's some of the things that struck me. Uh, the... The slippers um, and the fact that it's tied to the uh, feature of this princess of this, you know, great beauty as having small feet. I think that's very fascinating because tracing it back to the Chinese version of the story, as we know in Chinese culture, it was very much a feature of great beauty and daintiness and ladylikeness to have very small feet. With the terrible practice of foot binding. Absolutely. Uh, and there was one version of the Yixian story that we saw that um, imparted some sort of magical powers on the slipper that anyone who would place their foot inside the slipper, their foot would magically shrink. So there's definitely some uh, some big foot 
stuff going on in this Yishan version. Not Tarantino associated. No, not Tarantino associated, but definitely like valuing that feature above anything else, you know, because that's literally the king is like, whoever's got the, the daintiest feet is the one that I will make my bride. King's a foot guy. He wasn't even at the ball. That's no. a feature in the Yishan version of the story that's really interesting because in the parole version, or at least in the one that we know from the Disney film, uh, that prince sees Cinderella at the ball and remarks upon her beauty. The slipper is literally just looked at as like a piece of the puzzle to try to find this beautiful woman. In this one, the king is sight unseen saying, whoever's got the smallest feet that are going to fit into these golden slippers, I will wife immediately. And just like the Western version of Cinderella, there are alternate versions and alternate endings to the story of Yisan. So we talked about how the stepmother and the stepsister die in a rain of fiery stones. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What's interesting to me about this is it has the ring of truth because many older fairy tales have completely gruesome consequences for the the baddies, right? The pills in the story. In another version of the Yishan story, the stepmother and stepsister are buried in a shrine called, get this, the Tomb of the Regretful Women. They become goddesses in a later tradition, and they can grant wishes eventually. See, that's really interesting, because they almost come out on top, at least uh, legacy-wise in Mm -hmm. that, right? They are imbued with magical powers. It goes on. So in the alternate version, Yishan and the king do not actually live happily ever after, Her husband gets greedy, and he starts abusing the power of the four pots of fish bones until it runs out of magic. It stops granting wishes, and the queen buries the bones on a nearby beach with a ton of gold. A year later, the king's people are tired of his malarkey. They lead a revolt, and the king tries to dig up the fish bones and give the gold to the the rebels, but the gold had washed away with the tide along with the magical bones, and nobody knows what happened to the king and his bride Yishan after the siege. I think that's an amazing ending. I think that's really pretty compelling and cool because that's how people actually are. Uh, disappointing? Kind of. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing about fairy tales. It's like, you know, the whole, you know, because we know the Grimm stories typically did end with some horrible stuff happening to, to, to our characters, right? Uh, to, the, to the antagonist. To the antagonist. Said, yeah. that's, that, that's true. But even in, in general, sometimes to get to the place where you win, some horrible things have to happen. Like with the Little Mermaid, for example, sure. when she gets human legs, in the Hans Christian Andersen version of that story, she's described as having like stinging pain like knives and mm-hmm. swords through her feet and legs as she walked or whatever when she got legs from being a mermaid. Have you read Joseph Campbell, Hero with a Thousand Faces? I am aware of it. I have not yeah, read that one it's entirely. A, it, I love the trope because what you're describing is that same like venturing out into unknown dangerous territory and you have to hit a low status to get to a higher status exactly. at the end. And for this one, um, again, with the retribution, uh, so instead of we don't have flaming stones or burial alive, I, I, one would assume, of the uh, wicked stepsister and the wicked stepmother, but in the uh, the Grimm Brothers version, you do have the wicked stepmother convincing her stepdaughters to slice off parts of their own feet so that they can fit inside of the shoe, uh, which you'd think would be a pretty obvious ruse, you know, especially for a dude that's potentially maybe in defeat. I don't think he would want mangled feet, right? Uh, and her whole thing is, oh, that's okay. Once you're royalty, you'll never have to walk. You'll be presumably carried around on a palanquin all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So who needs your feet? 
when you can have riches untold, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a very palaquin-heavy industry at the time in fairy tale land. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with the new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. It's so fascinating to examine how these stories 
proliferate, how they change, how they create such a rich, dense variety of adventure and fantasy and intrigue and magic. And this is a thought that I've been having since we decided to do this episode. I'm very curious about this. Do you think, you, Casey, you, Noel, and all of us listening, do you think that there will be future versions of stories like this, Cinderella, Rapunzel, you know, the, um, what, what, what are some other ones? Rumpelstiltskin and so on. Do you think there will be future versions uh, that historians will look back on maybe 800, 1,000 years from now, if we make it? Uh, and, and if so, like, what might change? Yeah, I don't know, because, like, we're not into the whole brevity of fables anymore. You know, even, like, our biggest literary, like, hallmarks, like the cultural milestones, like a Harry Potter or something like that, they're not short, you can't really sum up Harry Potter and the journey of Harry Potter like in like a tiny little, you know, paragraph, which is sort of what makes these folk tales important. It's because they're easy to tell and they're easy to carry over and to tell somebody quickly on the road, right? Uh, it feels like the short story, like can you, I can't think of a single like super famous short story from the last 20 years. From the last 20 years? Or, I don't know, 50 years, whatever. Like, I can't think of a super famous short story other than maybe, like, A Good Man is Hard to Find or whatever from sure. when I was, you know. Good Country People. Exactly. Uh, the Nine Billion Names of God. I don't know those. Uh, where I'm Calling From. You're more of a reader than me of that kind of stuff. But I'm just saying, in terms of something that would stand the test of time and be carried on in oral tradition, I think they need to be short and pithy and communicate some sort of universal Ideal. Sure. Time is the most brutal and efficient editor of all. That's why a lot of stuff we remember from uh, the days of the ancients is often going to be paraphrased or, or shortened. I, I want to correct. Where I'm Calling From is a book by Raymond Carver. The story I was thinking of is a story called Cathedral. And to your point, Noel, I would add that I, I don't know how many of those stories are what we would consider mainstream Everyone in the U.S. is vaguely aware of the story of Cinderella. You know what I mean? Uh, but I don't think we can say the same for a lot of short stories. You know what? Maybe there's one we're missing. Maybe we have a blind spot. Let us know. Let us know what uh, what you think is a modern fairy tale or original or, or new version of a fairy tale that everyone knows or something that in the future may be looked at uh, the same way that we look at the evolution of Cinderella today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, big shout out to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Uh, Casey, just by the way, do you have a do you have a favorite fairy tale? Oof, favorite fairy tale? No, not no. really. No, you're not moved by it. No Princess and the Frog. Nah, not really. No, favorite short story, sure, but not fairy tale. I'm a big Raymond Carver fan too. Oh, nice. Uh, Noel, do you have a favorite fairy tale? I've always been pretty fascinated by Hansel and Gretel because of the macabre qualities of it, you know, with the cannibalistic child-eating witch living in a house made of candy. It's it's sort of like a classic cautionary tale against talking to strangers. Yeah. Um, but it has some nice magical undertones. And uh, I grew up, um, there's an opera version of it by Engelbert mm -hmm. Humperdinck that, you know, my mom, who's an opera singer, always was singing pieces from that with her students. And there is a really, really creepy and cool claymation version of that opera that uh -huh. I saw when I was a kid and Is that it scared Russian animation? the bejesus out of me. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, I think I've, I've seen that or something like it. 
Uh, I would I would say Disney wise. I feel like I have to differentiate Disney wise. I was a big fan of Sleeping Beauty just because of the moment at the end where Maleficent turns into this amazing dragon creature. Uh, also, Chernobog, Chernobog, I think in. Fantasia. I don't know. It's a tough question, and we want to hear from you. What are your favorite fairy tales? What are your favorite variants of fairy tales? Do you have a particular favorite fairy tale that might be unfamiliar to us and your fellow listeners? If so, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. We highly recommend our Facebook group page, Ridiculous Historians, uh, where we found out that we are on broadcast radio. It's true. Um, what's you know what was once old is now new again. Uh, by the way, the name of the artist that did that uh, Hansel and Gretel thing, which is called Hansel and Gretel, an opera fantasy, is Evolds Dajewskis, and he was um, a, a Russian immigrant and did the work for that in New York City in so the nineteen fifties. It was Russian somehow, right? Mm-hmm. Big thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Big thanks to Christopher Hasiotis and research associates Gabe Luzier and Ryan Barish. And you know, I guess this podcast did end happily ever after. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence, and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers, and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FASA members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com.